On the, uh, on the farm where I, where I grew up, we had rabbits. What, uh, what do you get if you pour boiling water down a rabbit burrow? A hot cross bunny. I think I can stop now. <laughs> Sometimes life can pour hot water on us and we too get a little bit cross, little cross, hot cross bunnies. You're enjoying the weather. You are? So summer has finally passed, I think. Autumn has arrived and uh, won't be too long. And winter, winter will be here. No? Not looking forward to winter? A few might be. I, I wonder whether it felt like winter on that day, that first Easter weekend, whether it felt like winter on that Good Friday, all hope was shattered. As Jesus, the apparent Messiah, was executed just like a common criminal. It was like a bleak winter's day, a cold wind blasting in, relentless rain. Nothing much happened on that long Passover Saturday as every law-abiding Jew would have stayed indoors for the Sabbath What a bleak day it was, at least for the the disciples, for Jesus' followers in grief, in the grip of winter. But then Easter Sunday arrives with a bang. Spring has sprung, life has burst forth, the rocks have even cried out. He is risen. Hallelujah. I wonder did the birds sing their praises that day? As the song begins, the song we sang earlier, See what a morning, gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem, folded the grave clothes, tomb filled with light as the angels announce, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Resurrection Sunday. This was the day, this was the day that Jesus lived on earth for. On this glorious day, like the first day of spring, hope, forgiveness and life burst forth. So let's think for a moment about the dawning of hope. Can you picture the women as they trudge toward the tomb? Broken-hearted, they intend to fulfil a duty that they would much rather not. They didn't want to fulfil this duty. Late on the Friday, they saw... I encourage you to read Luke's account of the resurrection and go back uh, from the crucifixion on. From Luke's account, late on the Friday, the women, they saw where Jesus was laid and how he was wrapped. They knew just where to find Jesus. 
They'd spent hours on that Friday evening crushing and mixing dried flowers and pungent spices to anoint and embalm Jesus' body. And as they moved toward the tomb that Sunday morning, one of them wonders aloud how they might move the stone from the entrance. There may have been as many as seven or eight women. And as they arrive at that place in the half-light of dawn, they're relieved because the stone's been removed, but they're perplexed because the stone's been removed. Two of them go on in and are devastated to find that the body of Christ is gone. Suddenly the cave is bathed in light as two men appear in shining robes. One of them asks, why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? He's not here, he is risen. And they remember Jesus' words, how he said that he would be tried by wicked men, he would be crucified, and then on the third day he would rise again. The dawning of hope. The match had been struck and the fire was about to ignite. They raced back to report what they had seen, what they had heard to the other disciples. Well, they, of course discount their wild and ridiculous claims immediately as nonsense. Utter nonsense. Until Peter and John run to the tomb to check it out for themselves, could it be so that the the stone's been rolled away? They too find the tomb open, grave clothes lying as if Jesus' body had simply disappeared. And John records that when he went into the tomb, he believed. He believed that Jesus was alive. See what a morning, gloriously bright, with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem, folded grave clothes, tomb filled with light, as the angels declare, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. These disciples who who went to bed the night before in utter despair are shocked by the hope that this day brings. Resurrection hope. And this same resurrection hope is available to us today because Jesus did what he said he would do, then we too have an assurance that what he said he is yet to do, he will do. Amen? What he has said he will do, he is yet to do, he will do. He will return, he will take us to be with him in the glory of our Father. Forgiveness also burst forth. Saul, the persecutor of the church, was transformed by the risen Christ when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. What a shock that must have been to Saul. And he later becomes Paul, the apostle. But Jesus said to to Saul, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And I am sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The risen Christ appeared to Saul to assure him that Saul was forgiven, but to assure all of us that we are forgiven. The only way a holy and perfect God could be in a relationship with someone like you and I, as sinful as we are, was if somebody took our punishment. Someone who had never deserved punishment. And Jesus took your place, took my place. The sinless son of God, the lamb of God, as we were reflecting on Friday. C.S. Lewis gave a metaphor for this sacrificial death of the innocent one in his classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And there he tells the story of the great lion Aslan who loved every child, even naughty Edmund, even naughty me, naughty you. And Aslan ends up giving his life as a sacrifice in their place so that the curse of the white witch would be dispelled once and for all and the dreadful winter of Narnia would turn into spring. If you've read the book or seen the movie. When Jesus died on the cross, he willingly laid down his life for you. Paid the price of every sin that you would ever commit so that we could say with Paul when he wrote these words in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Once we accept Jesus as our personal saviour, God no longer condemns us. God has forgiven us when we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour, as him saving us. It's the resurrection that brings us hope, that brings us forgiveness, that brings us life. And life burst forth on that resurrection day as well. You'll recall that the angel asked the women, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? They thought Jesus was dead. But he was and is very much alive. One of the best known verses in the Bible, John 3.16, you all know it. For God so loved the world, so loved you and I, so loved us, that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus brings us life, eternal life, abundant life. Life, life to the full. Life that begins the moment that we believe and it continues into all eternity. When Jesus was raised back to life, he reversed the curse that was upon all mankind. And so the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam led us into sin and death The second Adam leads us into forgiveness and life. 
so that the Apostle Paul would later write these words, and we've often heard these words, Death, where's your victory? Grave, where is your sting? There's no victory, there's no sting in death. Faith in Jesus even takes away the fear of death. Because Jesus lives, you too, you and I, will live if we believe in Jesus. And so on this Resurrection Sunday, we we celebrate life, we celebrate forgiveness, we celebrate hope. Of course, there are days when we struggle. There are days when we are going through trials and real battles. Because this is a world that suffers through the presence of abounding sin. The Apostle Paul wrote about the race of life as though it were a marathon. And I could, I could almost picture Jesus saying these very words that Paul later wrote. He could have applied these words to himself as he was hanging there on the cross. Paul wrote, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Anyone who has played sport, anyone who has run a a race, a cross country or a marathon, knows that you're always more tired at the end of the race than you were at the start. Often you're, you're rather exhausted at the end of the race. Paul, he knew the rigours of life. He knew the difficulties, the hard work, and he endured demanding trials and great persecutions. And so he looked forward to an eternity and he wrote about a physical place that will be a place of rest for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. And he also wrote about the transformation that will take place when we leave our earthly bodies. He wrote, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. He describes these present bodies like a tent designed to be a a temporary abode. It's not meant to last forever. It's susceptible to the elements. These will be replaced by a building, an eternal house built by God. This is but a tent that we are living in at the moment. And this too, I think, is a fitting description of earth and heaven. This earth will be destroyed as we know it. It's like a tent that will be replaced by a home that is eternal, built to last forever. We tend to live this life as though this earth is, is going to go on and on and on forever, but it won't. It's going to be replaced by a home that is eternal, built to last forever. We can rest secure in that. It'll be our eternal home of rest where there will be no more tears, 
No more crying, sorrow, death, nor pain. Can you imagine a place where there's no longer any worries, anxiety, depression, misery, frustrations, hopelessness, despair? None of that will exist. Hallelujah. The Apostle John, he was given a vision of this place of glory and he wrote, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labours for their deeds follow them. So consider this. How will you finish the race? When we cross the finish line, how will you feel? Worn out? Exhausted? In his book, Finish Line, Robert Wogglemuth includes a a very short testimony from a lady, Nancy, and she wrote about the passing of her father. I just want to share that very small testimony. She said this, It was January the 7th at 11.55pm when my father was escorted to heaven. What a beautiful illustration God gave us of how exciting it is to be there. Dad's eyes got so big all of a sudden. He had tears in his eyes that trickled down his face. He began to show excitement. His mouth moved and then there was a smile. He was trying to talk. He was trying to say something. And that was the most movement that we had seen in Dad for days. Within the last 30 minutes, he had numerous, on numerous times showed excitement and peace. The last time, though, was the most dramatic. It was so obvious that he was being escorted into glory. She said, Mary, my sister and I were able to sing songs and to talk to him during this time. What a peace that was on his face as God took him to heaven. We are so grateful that God allowed us to see his entrance into glory. She said, I told a nurse standing by, this is the day that he has lived for all his life. This is the day that he had lived for all his life. I wonder, was it a peace and a joy that radiated over Jesus' face as he finished the race? Was it this that caused the centurion to say, surely this man was the son of God? For the believer in Christ, crossing the finish line will not be exhausting. Rather, it will be exhilarating. Are you looking forward to that day? It'll be exhilarating. 
We won't be tired at the end of this life, but we'll be filled with life, eternal life, joy and peace. What a glory that will be. She said this is the day he lived for all his life. This was the day Jesus lived for. Is this the day that you were living for? I hope so. After Paul wrote these words, and I quoted these words from Paul before, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. The very next verse, the very next words that Paul record are words that apply for not only Paul but for you and for me, for those of us who believe in Jesus. He said, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You're longing for his appearing? This is the glory of the resurrection, hope, forgiveness and life. The crown of righteousness, if you believe. I encourage you to talk to somebody if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus. Praise God for resurrection, life, forgiveness and hope.